This is the Notable Speeches Podcast, and we appreciate your listening. Today, an address by author and philosopher Roger Scruton, who passed away January 12th at the age of 75. He's been called the most influential conservative thinker since the 18th century statesman and philosopher Edmund Burke. Roger Scruton wrote not only about philosophy, but also about music, law, architecture, politics, even hunting. His books include The Meaning of Conservatism, published in 1980, An Intelligent Person's Guide to Modern Culture, published in 1998 and re-released in 2005, and The West and the Rest, subtitled Globalization and the Terrorist Threat, published in 2002. Scruton held degrees in philosophy and aesthetics from England's Cambridge University. One of Roger Scruton's recurring themes was the importance of recognizing and appreciating beauty. This address is about beauty and about its opposite, what Scruton calls uglification, which is prominent today in architecture, art, music, and even in the tone of public discourse. This short speech by Roger Scruton was recorded in October 2018 at an event sponsored by the Dietrich von Hildebrand Legacy Project and hosted at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. Today, I'm just going to introduce the discussion with a few remarks about what ugliness is and the way in which ugliness has come into our world as a kind of inevitable force, a force that seems to squeeze itself into every uh, opening that is available to it. This is an unusual thing. It's not natural for human beings to pursue ugliness, to cultivate it, or to praise it when it occurs. As you know from your own lives, when given a little territory of your own, whether a room to live in, or a, an event to dress for, or a speech to make, or a ceremony to attend, your first thought is to look for the beautiful. Everybody has an instinct to decorate the room in which he lives according to his own taste, and also to compare that taste with others, to stand back from the painting that he's applied to the wall and ask himself whether it's right or wrong, whether it would look good, uh, in such and such circumstances, how the furniture should be put in place, and what would others think? And in particular, it's that question, what would others think, which makes people behave correctly in the aesthetic sphere. Nobody wants ostentatiously to give offence, or they didn't want ostentatiously to give offence, until that became part of what it is to be a creative artist, uh, which is what, of course, is taught in the art schools today. So, in defiance of that natural instinct that we all have to beautify our lives, which is an instinct, as I say, that belongs to our natural politeness, our ability to, and desire to respect each other, in defiance of that, there has been what um, the novelist Milan Kundera calls the uglification of modern life that wherever we turn, we find the deliberate desecration of beautiful things, the employment of shapes, forms, and um, gestures, which are calculated to either to repel us or simply to annihilate uh, the surrounding experience of beauty. I've just been speaking about the destiny of Washington under the um, impact of the postmodern architecture which now uh, is accumulating on the edge of the old center. 
these great big uh, uh, boxes of glass, often of mirror glass, which are not just characterless in themselves, but obliterate the whole sense of, of the city as a shared settlement, a place where you would want to make your home, turning it from a settlement into a, a kind of transit camp where you appear in an office for a few hours of the day before escaping from the center. And this kind of architecture, which everybody now knows is, is growing everywhere, is uh, obliterating our cities but by turning them into places where we don't really want to be. We have to come there to work, but we don't want to remain there when the, the hours of work are over. And that's part of what uglification is, turning everything into an instrument of some purpose of the individual in defiance of any sense of community or belonging. And um, I think people are beginning to rebel against the kind of architecture that's been imposed on our cities since the war, but it's rather late in the day to do so. You, of course, are lucky here in the Catholic University in that the efforts of many people have been devoted to making this into a beautiful environment, a place where you want to be, which you will regard as home, and the memory of which you will cherish in your lives hereafter. And if you look round at this room, you can see just how easy it is to do. It didn't require a great deal of thought or a great deal of uh, discussion to recognize that you have to build a room with certain proportions, that you have to have details that people will like, uh, and moldings around the edges and so on. Uh, and uh, the result is, okay, not a great work of art, but everybody is going to be happy here uh, for as long as it exists. But the uglification of modern life means that everywhere we look, there's a kind of brash, in-your-face culture displaying itself, the culture of the consumer society, which invades everything and asks of every event and episode, what's in it for me? The me idea is written on the face of those glass boxes, uh, and it's about the only thing written on the face of them. This clamor for attention as well of anything that presents itself as art. And if you complain about this, you discover that you are actually part of the enemy. We belong, this um, consumer society is also a society which, which refuses judgment. Judgment is the original sin. Somebody who says, you know, there is a right and wrong way to build, or a right and wrong way to dress, a right and wrong way to decorate, that there is beautiful language and ugly language, and so on. Such a person is condemned as the great spoil sport, the one who is judging others when he has no right to do so, because the whole realm of aesthetic uh, experience is judgment-free. Uh, and... Um, uh, this, so this, this uglified world accuses the one who wishes to criticize it. Uh, it wishes to remove all obstacles to the gratification of the self. Uh, and we've seen this in all kinds of walks of life. Nobody can, no outsider to America can look on the recent dispute over the uh, nomination to, to the Supreme Court without recognizing the extreme ugliness of the whole thing.
Uh, it was as though America had decided overnight to put on display to the external world that this is the ugliest society in existence. Whichever side you, whichever side you took in the dispute, it was uh, a side which required shouting and screaming and the deformation of the face, lying and manipulation, and also the undermining of anything that suggested that, that human beings could rise above this and decide the issue in a rational and calm way. Uh, so that uglification of the political process has occurred also. Uh, and the uglification of cities, roads, the landscape, and the rest. Uh, and a lot of it has to do, of course, with television and the internet, uh, which have so trapped our attention that it's only the shocking and the disturbing that can give us any sense of saying something new. But of course, what they're saying is the same as they've always been saying, uh, namely that the world is not worth living in. So nothing else, only ugliness can capture our jaded attention. That seems to be uh, the, the basic assumption behind the uglified society. And it, it goes also with what all Catholics will recognize as a, a, an important social phenomenon, which is the deconsecration of sacred things. And uh, it's very obvious to Catholics, at least, that this has happened in the case of uh, a personal life of birth and reproduction and death, the most important events in our lives, these have been deconsecrated. Marriage, of course, has been deconsecrated, handed over to the state, and then uglified by being made into a mere pursuit of me and my gratification, rather than a devotion to you. And this uh, deconsecration, therefore, has led also to a desecration of things. Nobody is happy with the result, including those who brought it about. Uh, their unhappiness is, is manifest in the ugliness of the thing that they've produced. So what is the antidote to this? Obviously, the antidote is beauty, and I don't think that we have lost the power to use that antidote and to reconsecrate our lives by means of it. Uh, what is dis distinguishes beauty in all the uh, human endeavors is that the beautiful object is not appreciated simply as a means to something else. It's not a tool, it's not an instrument for gaining advantage or anything like that. The beautiful object is something which is understood and appreciated for what it is, for its own sake. It has an intrinsic meaning and value. And we, in the situation in which we are now, in this uglified world, are looking for something which will redeem that world by enabling us to rise above the whole idea of instrumental values. You know, to look on the world in such a way that it isn't simply uh, being treated as an instrument for my own gratification, for enhancing my position, uh, giving me power, pleasure, and all the other uh, worldly values which cause people to annihilate their surroundings. Um, so through pursuit of beauty, we are trying to refashion human life so that peace and rest form the heart of it. And this, I think, connects the pursuit of beauty automatically with the two forms of life that have always been associated with it. First of all, art, and secondly, religion. 
Art means, the creation of art, means taking aesthetic choice and raising it into a realm of its own. So it becomes a way of life, a way of expressing the life in you, a way of praising and endorsing the world and affirming your own being and the being of others along with it but at the same time subduing those appetites that, are, that cause you to obliterate the existence of others. Uh, now, in everyday life, obviously, means and instrumentality dominate our ends uh, and our, our purposes. But the judgment of beauty brings that uh, domination to a limit. It conveys a sense of the end, a sense of the intrinsic value of certain things that we pursue. And in art, there is only intrinsic value. When you tell a story, uh, uh, writing a, a novel or a story or a, a, an epic in verse, for instance, such as the great epics of Homer, um, you do so not to convey information, but to give an example of something. To, you're, you're creating an imaginary world which is interesting for its own sake, precisely because you, the creator, and the listener or reader, don't inhabit that world. It's not a world that is possible for you to enter. So you can stand back from it, contemplate it, uh, look for order in it, see exactly how things fit together, how they can be completed and fulfilled so that they become interesting intrinsically for what they are. And in that way, uh, a work of art, a work of fiction, can lift human life out of the whole struggle of instrumentality and, and appetite and present it as an object of contemplation for its own sake. And maybe that work of fiction, that epic or whatever it is, is full of tragedy and unpleasant things. But in presenting tragedy in this imaginary form, we enable people to stand back from it, to recognize its intrinsic connection with the rest of our lives, so that it's part of the order of the whole. The tragic uh, work of art shows us that death and suffering are part of the con human condition, and without them, all those good things that depend upon them wouldn't be available to us. So art in that way reconciles us to human life, gives us a sense that life has an intrinsic meaning and is as such justified in itself. And that is one great antidote to uglification, and it's the antidote which uh, has informed my life. Uh, I'm a relatively sedentary person, uh, at least I, I was until I, I, I met my fox-hunting wife, uh, uh, and this result of which has been a, a series of interesting accidents. <laughs> but uh, but ne nevertheless, it is second nature for me to sit around reading, uh, uh, listening to music, playing the piano and so on. But in all of that, I flatter myself perhaps, but in all of that I think I have found a way of looking on life as intrinsically meaningful, uh, as having a, making a place for me without me having to pursue in a clamorous way my own appetites. I can stand back and say, it is good to be. And I, th that the uh, things that are impinging on me and uglifying my, my existence can be resisted. I can turn away from them and make my own sphere where I can build life in another way. But of course, most people in this room, I'm sure, uh, who will be of Catholic faith and will recognize that um, art is all very well, but it itself depends upon something deeper, upon the, the religious 
sentiment from which um, our desire to be at home in the world originally begins. Uh, and many religious people will say with, that without faith, you aren't ever really at home in the world. You sense your, your condition as one of alienation. You're looking for something, even if you don't yourself know this, something that will reconcile your, your way of being not only to yourself and to others, but to the divine order that governs everything. But whatever you think about that, uh, it is certainly true that religion, like art, is a realm of value. It's a realm in which we try to raise up the human condition into a light that shines from elsewhere, the light of the divine. Uh, we know, whether we're uh, believers or not, we know that, that we cannot ourselves create the light which fully redeems our world. We look for it elsewhere. We can look for it in art, but for most people, uh, most religious people, the real source of that light is the divine. And the search for beauty in earthly things takes us first to art and through art to the ideal in which the divine is prefigured. And I think this is one of the most important features of religion, at least for someone of my uh, formation, uh, namely that it attaches beauty to the world, brings down into the world the beauty uh, that rescues it from this uh, craven ugliness which is growing all around us. Uh, and religion, religions in particular, the Christian religion, are founded in activities which are intrinsically beautiful in themselves, which create a fabric of meaning uh, that is laid over the surface of the world in such a way that the world indeed becomes a home for us. Rituals do this. The Mass, of course, does this. The habit of prayer and the recognition of the sacred in things, the re-consecration of the world. And that, I think, is the point on which I'd like to leave you, that, that the answer to the uglification that is growing all around us, which is putting the whole world on sale to our selfish appetites. The answer to that is a gesture, however we arrive at it, of reconsecration. We must reconsecrate the world as a place where we can belong as complete beings and belong to others and to the community around us and to the world as a whole and expel this uh, uglification from the middle of our lives. Thank you. The late author and philosopher Roger Scruton, recorded in the fall of 2018 at the Catholic University of America. If you haven't done so yet, we hope you'll subscribe to the Notable Speeches podcast. Search for Notable Speeches in the podcast app you prefer. You can follow us on Twitter at Notable Speeches, and if you'd like to email a comment or suggestion, here's the address, feedback at notablespeeches.com. I'm Joseph Slife. Thanks for listening. <laughs>